It's because the, of the fact that you're so lenient and loving and compassionate to your companions that they've stuck around you. If you had to be harsh, they would have run away. Ah, I love that. Mm. And, and so, get, very <laughs> true. The compassionate achiever. That's exactly right. I'm sorry. That's exciting. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to The Compassionate Achiever. I'm Tracy Day. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Chris Cook, who is a political and social science professor at Western Connecticut State University. He's founder of the Center for Compassion, Creativity, Innovation, and he's a Fulbright Scholar, a Harvard Fellow, and an ex-counterintelligence officer. But his latest project has been writing the book, The Compassionate Achiever, How Helping Others Fuels Success. And Tracy, whose background is in marketing, advertising, and foreign affairs, is also an award-winning radio and talk show host. And we've teamed up to interview compassionate achievers in various walks of life. So how are you doing, Tracy? I am so good. Really good. Yeah, Thanksgiving? We seen, yeah, I missed you since Thanksgiving. How was it? It was good, and we did some of the homework. We even did the Blessing Cup. Did you? We did, and it worked so well. And just going to say, I'm not going to name any names, but two people cried oh. because of the blessings that they were giving. So it wasn't just for the gratitude of, that we're getting. We did giving the ble- blessings. It was awesome. And it was for people who weren't, yeah, because we took that idea of not only for the people that were there, but you can also you know, give blessings to people who are not there. I love that. And that was that was pretty amazing. So we had Ellie's extended family, and, and to hear the you know, the different family members. The take like, on it. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty, oh, pretty cool. So, so thanks good. for that idea. And we did do the homework that I know Pete posted up about the four categories of people. Of and people. we had some great discussions regarding estrogen and <laughs> testosterone, <laughs> dopamine, dopamine, serotonin. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting. We, we started, so we had the blessing cup right before we ate. Mm-hmm. And then we did the testosterone, estrogen, dopamine, serotonin <laughs> thing during dessert. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And, and the tryptophan thing. Yeah. As that, that was, was all, kicking yeah. in. As that was, that was, that right. was the, fifth, the fifth element, yeah, right? That was so much fun, and we, we had some great discussions. How about you? Oh, it was awesome. Really low-key. We were actually going to do the Blessing Cup, and then we forgot about it just until <laughs> right before we sat down, and all the food was on the table, and Scott goes, oh, did you want to do that? And I was like, no, not right now, because... Now every, everything is sitting there getting cold. So anyway, we did do lovely blessings and shared with everyone. But next year, I'm going to plan more for the cup, make it more you know, official. I, it, well, you know what? Who else we need on this, whether he did the blessing cup or the testosterone or estrogen thing? <laughs> Pete, don't make pretend you can't sign in now. I know you're at the engineering <laughs> board, but did you do any of it, Pete? Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Silence mode. What do you say, Pete? No, my wife and I did discuss the uh, the personality test. Oh, thing, but it didn't get translated to the larger group because uh, mm-hmm. it was, as expected, just completely insane, uh, <laughs> running around like we said from house to house, and it. Uh, All, right. All right. So wait a minute. I, I just failed in my homework assignment. One question. No. Well, so I, did I, I, Pete. Oh, leave it you to know the what? professor. <laughs> Wah, wah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Pete, are you, are you still married? That's the question. Uh, as far as I know, when I left the house this morning. Okay, all right. So the personality test didn't divide, didn't, didn't divide anything up. So that was, No, not yet. 
yeah. not yet. There's a knock at the door. They're serving the papers. She needs him to, for that 30-minute you know, drive across from yeah. uh, family to family. True. But I wanted to bring up something else that you brought up where Pete and I went silent oh. last podcast mm-hmm. when you said, did you ever hear a, a woman ever be called a nice girl, right? Because we were talking about you could be too nice as a boy. Right. Well, the New York Times had a piece on this. They did? How timely. It no wa- pun intended. <laughs> the bad news on good girls. Oh, and maybe, what did it say? Well, we can slightly go, go over it right now, but I'm thinking we can even talk about this in the podcast, right? Oh, this podcast, could be a right? whole, yeah. So basically, that you're taught to, as a, a girl, as a young lady, you're taught to obey. You're taught to get in line to be a quote-unquote good girl. Mm-hmm. And that puts you at, as you get older, in a position where when something or somebody does something wrong, you're taught to obey, so you're taught to go back so you don't bring out. It came out, this article came out with you know, all the sexual, sexual harassment, right? And why yeah. people wait you know, so many years for it to come out. And, and, and this article explains about how young ladies are brought up in the United States to be these good, good girls, girls, and that you're pushed down, your own individuality is pushed down in a way different than it is for boys. Right. And boys are taught totally to stand up. That. Right. Yeah. And, and that you're a good girl if you stand down. And it was really an interesting piece. And it goes to supporting, you know, something that you were saying, but in it also a different way. Right. And it leads you down a different path. But it's also still the same thing you were saying. And when I read it, I, I was like, Tracy. <laughs> and, and that's where Pete and I went quiet. Right. Right. right? Silence. Radio silence. <laughs> I can't ever I can't remember a time when I ever heard someone say she's too nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, of a girl but you know i know they did that to pete right that it, <laughs> right. it's too nice it's too, nice. too nice of a dude and to you but well thank you but but this is you know, right and it says the highlight here is young women receive conflicting messages be be mighty and be be mighty and be nice and that's where the compassion achiever comes in right, right? you always say that and you can be nice but still be mighty yes and it's this I, phrase you know that i like to bring up fierce compassion Mm-hmm. Right? You don't have to be a doormat. Right? And that's one thing that I do like about all of this. I mean, I think it's so sad. All these people coming out. Um, Matt Lauer. How about wow, today? I mean, that yeah, was a that's... crazy one, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, we could go on. The list can, is but just... so long. and it's and So we'll, we'll come back to that. I figured we would. But um, I also um, want to introduce our guest yes. who is here with us in the studio. He's Imam Usman Akhtar. Was born in New York and raised in Connecticut. He's a lifelong student of the Quran and Islam and has studied with several credentialed scholars. He holds a number of licenses from renowned Muslim scholars in various sciences, and he's completed the traditional six-year curriculum. And then he traveled to Cairo, Egypt, which I want to hear about, where he benefited from the scholars of Al-Zhar University. Usman Akhtar is currently the Imam and Director of Religious Affairs at the Danbury. Now, help me with this word. Sure. See, I knew there was sure. another word in here. I was going to slaughter it. Could you help me with that? The Danbury. Mustard. Mustard. Oh, okay. Where he <laughs> conducts. <laughs> yeah, I'm only going to say it once. <laughs> he conducts grand memorization classes, counseling. Uh, here's another one. Helicot. 
Perfect. A helicopter <laughs> and much more. So welcome, Uzma. Thank, thank, thank you for coming. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. And I, I was fortunate to meet you and have, sit down and have a conversation over some great food. Yeah, we uh, had a great conversation. And great wild topics. Mm-hmm. And I knew that you and Tracy would also hit it off because we hit it off so well. Well, uh, and Chris has been singing your praises. So <laughs> I really appreciate you coming in. Well, thank to, you for having me. Yeah. Absolute pr- pleasure being here. And and so we did another podcast with a Christian pastor. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad, you know, things always work out the way yes, they're supposed to. We were actually going to try and have you on with, together. Okay. Um, but then we didn't want to have it turn into a debate. Right. This is not... That that's not what we're trying to do here. Um, so it worked out better because now you can we can do a whole show around this, and we've done it about the Christian uh, faith as well, compassion in um, in your faith, and so you are so knowledgeable about this. So you're just the perfect person to be here. He is, and, and he's also this. very approachable. I saw him with students. And the way he interacts is just... Now, you do something with the students, too, as well, right? Are you yeah, tied he... in? Tell us about that. Well, with the students here at WestCon, yeah. um, so they've recently restarted the MSA, which is the Muslim Student Association, which, from what I hear, hasn't been around for uh, maybe a few years or more than a few years. And so uh, the great students at the honors program, they got together and they restarted it. And so I've just been... You know, helping them along, whatever, whenever they need my help. Um, you know, they... which is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they have to deal with Chris all the time, so <laughs> a little extra help never hurt. <laughs> we recently had um, an event, so I think it was their first event of the year. It was a fastathon, and so uh, people. How fasted. does that work? Yeah. So in the Islamic tradition, we fast from sun from from dawn to sun sunset. Um, and so it was general for whoever and however they wanted to fast, to fast in whatever capacity they wanted to, and then join us for breaking fast. And so, um, you know, we spoke a little bit about fasting from the Islamic perspective, the spiritual aspect of fasting, and uh, it was a great event. And that's where I got to meet Chris, and we had, we had a great conversation. Did you fast? I, I did not because I've been running. Oh, yeah, here we go. So, With the excuses right away, right out of the box. I'm glad no, Pete's I'm not kidding. plugged in yeah, right now. Exactly. <laughs> but, no, but no, it was it was really interesting. Listen was to it people. for awareness yes. or was it for a fundraiser? I didn't know. It was complete, just awareness uh-huh. um, of, you know, why we fast as Muslims and then fasting in the, you know, just in, in our society. Where, where does it fall into place? And it was a cross-section of people. So, I, you know, there was like on a Saturday night... Right, it was a Saturday evening. It were eight, over eighty people. Oh wow! It was That's great attendance. It was, I great would think, <laughs> right? Yeah, and so there were great conversations about fasting and about the Islamic um, culture. I mean, the Quran, everything. It was we covered everything from boy opioid addiction yeah. to, to homosexuality yeah. to to marriage, and it was such a fun event because I think it 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 took down some misconceptions that mm. some people have right, right when it comes to uh, the Quran or Islam and it, whatever aspect of, 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 of the Islamic culture. And so it's really, and you did a great job explaining fasting. Thank you, thank you. And we had great food. So yeah. on top of all so, of that. So quickly, <laughs> yes. can you give us the, you know, the thumbnail sketch? I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but why do you fast like that? Um, well, first and foremost, because it's uh, something that our religious religion asks us to do. And so looking beyond the just the command of fasting 
uh, more of the spiritual aspect. Uh, when we live in a society where we get to eat whatever we want, whenever we want, how much ever of it we want to, and um, to kind of feel what it feels to be hungry, uh, mm-hmm. what it feels to not have what you want to have. Uh, and so th- this creates within a person, naturally will create a generosity within a person. So we see there's one month out of the lunar year calendar that Muslims fast, uh, and that's not coming up until May of 2018. Um, and so during that month, everyone, and this is something I've personally experienced as well, you just become generous because you want to be that person that will provide food for the person who doesn't have food. And so that's one of the... Walk in a man's shoes. Yep, and, and that's, mm-hmm. one of the, that's one of the feelings that we naturally feel. So naturally we'll feel more generous. Um, we'll learn how to control ourselves more. Now you're not able to eat and not able to sleep when you want and not able to you know, do the normal things that you do. And so it kind of creates this spiritual power within ourselves. And there was an example that I gave. Um, I, I'm not sure if you remember, but it was the water bottle. And so I, what I like to kind of say is, our body is like that water bottle, and we have two forces within that water bottle that are trying to grow. We have our physical desires and our spirit. Our spirit, and so throughout the year, we're always just you know feeding our physical desires and eating and sleeping and doing what we want to do, and that kind of grows and occupies the space within our body or within the water bottle. It doesn't allow the spirit to grow, and so when we now suppress our desires it allows our spirit to grow and we just feel more spiritual more connected to god more connected to people being more generous and so it's just a overall you know great feeling something that just raises awareness within ourselves about ourselves yeah that makes perfect sense i know i just popped my pee but anyway (laughs) it is a perfect seriously it's and i've never heard it explained like that but it it absolutely makes a ton of sense it to really me does. and it just makes you more aware of, of what you're doing and i i would think that so go back to the a month long so right. every day for that month yep every day to... for that month from from dawn to sunset <clears throat> and so obviously during the summers the days are very long and the winters the days are very short and because we follow the lunar calendar that's something that rotates when i was a child um fasting was in the winter Mm-hmm. And so it was easy. We'd come home from school. It'd be 3.30, around 4, and we're breaking fast around 4.35 because sunset was so early. Nowadays, it's in the summer <laughs> where the fasts <laughs> are around longer. 16 hours long. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're really yeah. denying yourself. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for 16 hours. No excuses hours. if you go running. <laughs> and, you know, there was an interesting story, and it was a video that I played during the presentation. There was, uh, there's a football team or a high school right. in, in Michigan and so the majority, the population's majority Muslim, the, the students there. And, you know, because the football team practices so many hours a day, the coach was able to push their practices to nighttime. So their practices started at 12 a.m. Uh, wow. So that they could practice what, without having to fast. So that, that's how they So they could that. eat like before they went yep. out to practice. And, and, and then they could drink while practicing and all of that. Oh, so well, that was smart. Yep, yep. From dawn to sunset, and then there's no no drinking, no eating, no smoking, no uh, filling your uh, you know fulfilling your sexual desires. None of that from dawn to sunset. Wow. So I have to just ask you: Was that in Dearborn, Michigan? I uh, probably was. There's a huge Muslim <laughs> yes. population. I think it's the largest in the country. Is it not? So. Yes, I think or so. one of the largest. It if, is. It if definitely not. is. Yep. Um, I'm from Michigan, oh. and not too far from there. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Cool. <laughs> so I thought maybe. Oh, Michigan's popped up a few times now. Yeah, 
It has. It is. It's a good state. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I want to. So that that is really helpful and and shed a completely different light on um, on fasting in in the first place. So. Um, here's a question that I had for you. You wrote an article about Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. being a role model right. for American Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about that. Was he, you know, into the whole fasting thing? Like how, I think for me, he's probably one of the first, you know, what do I want to say? Star Muslims mm. or whatever, or like a well-known right. celebrity figure, celebrity yeah. figure that is a Muslim. Um, so tell tell us about why you think that he was a good role model. Well, personally for me, I grew up right down the street in New Fairfield, Connecticut, and um, we, I grew up at a time when, in, in in a place where I was, you know, there weren't many other Muslims around. Uh, so my parents would you know work very hard to instill within us the values and the morals and the ethics of Islam and praying and fasting, and it was always a struggle to kind of explain. Uh, Islam to other people, why we pray five times a day, and you know why I'm not eating today, and um, why I can't eat that, and you know there there was it was always the struggle, and so uh, I think not just for me, but you know Muslim kids growing up in the '90s in America, uh, they looked for that person that they could kind of relate to, mm-hmm. uh, and Muhammad Ali was past his prime at that time. Uh, but he was very outspoken about Islam, which made us feel like we have a spokesperson. You know, if you mm-hmm. want to, you know, kind of like what Muhammad Ali does. And that's what, that's what you know, we, we started to take him as a role model. Uh, him and there was other people as well. There was a basketball player by the name of Hakeem Olajuwon, played for oh, the Houston sure. Rockets. Yeah. And I remember I was eight years old uh, in 96, and 95 and 96 when they won, uh, or it was in 94 and 95 when they won the NBA Finals. Uh, and I remember... You know, just being so happy and being able to relate to someone that's also a Muslim, someone that also fasts. By the way, we were talking about fasting, and I think I mentioned this to you while you we did. had our conversation at WestCon. Hakeem Olajuwon used to fast while playing basketball. Mm. And they looked at and his... you can't drink either, right? No, no drinking, wow. no eating. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I remember, um, you know, as someone looked at his stats and they said... His stats while he was fasting were actually a lot better than when he wasn't fasting. <laughs> really? Yeah, and that's something that I remember when my brother was in high school. He played for the football team, and it was hell week, and he had to go through all that, and he was fasting. Oh. And, you know, th- that was his wow. kind of his inspiration. If Hakeem Olajuwon can do it, I can I do can it. Do yep, and so... Impressive. Just yeah. to have role models is always important. All so, right, I'll try and during Ramadan. I'll yeah, don't be that. like throwing that out. If Hakeem can was, do it, you I, yeah, Hakeem. I'm like, I'm like a quarter of his size. Yeah, true, true. He was a big boy. Yes, he was. Um, so, in kind of following up with that, so you're talking about you have you know good role models mm-hmm. that are kind of household name right. kind of people or whatever. I think it is really sad right now that with all of the press and all that's going on in the world, um, you you mentioned, and stop me if I'm, I'm wrong, you said the true meaning of Islam is being hijacked by extremists, mm-hmm. which I totally agree right. with. So many people only hear about these extremist stories, and that's all they, they know. So right. they kind of assume that that's what the Muslim religion is about. Right. So can you address sure. that? Like, how do we deal with that sure. in our society? Yeah, and that's something that we've kind of dealt with, 
since 9-11. I, I kind of mm. put the marker at 9-11. Before 9-11, life was completely different. After 9-11, it's completely different as well. Um, but th that's the feeling that we have, that when, we are, when Muslims are being represented in media, uh, you know, even throughout the world, uh, we're always being represented by the less than 0.1% of Muslims, uh, by the extremists and by the terrorists. And so we feel that we're being misrepresented and it's not, it's, and we come across times and places in our life, our everyday life, where now we have to explain ourselves again and again. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's just unfortunate. And uh, here in America, Muslim leaderships have kind of, Muslim leadership has kind of taken that on their shoulders. It's our responsibility to get the right message across. It's our responsibility to, you know, go out there and make sure that my neighbor knows that what a real Muslim is, uh, you know, what true Islam teaches. And so, well, you know, in that article, when I mentioned that, you know, we feel that our own religion, you know, people are defining what Islam is for us mm -hmm. uh, and you know, allow us the opportunity to define it. And so um, that's something that I was trying to, uh, you know, point out in that article that I wrote was just the fact that we can't be represented by something that's point zero one less than that. Less than that, probably. Of our is population. Muslim, the Muslim religion the largest in the world? I don't. No. I don't believe so. I, I think. What is? Do you know, Chris? I, I is, Islam is is right up there, is, though, right? It, I think. I think it is one of the, if not the top, it's in the top two. Yeah, top I two thought, or top three. Yeah. Uh, last time I remember, I looked at stats. It was one point seven, one point six billion Muslims in the world, and it was around. I I, I don't remember it being second or okay. third, but okay. between second or third. Because yeah. you have different sects, right? Right. Right. Of, oh, so they don't kind of. Well, and, Lump this, them and this together. is one of the things that, you know, I talked to Usman about what happened in Egypt. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, the, the, the horrific um, incident that, mm. that happened. Yeah. At that mosque. At the that, mosque, oh. right. And, and, and for me, I, I, you know, I was calling him to, get him to come hopefully on this, but also, you know, to give my condolences mm. uh, as well. And I was a bit upset because it, it didn't, if it was Christians, in my opinion, and I don't want him to say this, it was my um, my perspective, it would have been more across the press. It didn't get the, in my opinion, it did not get the same amount of press that I think other faiths, if it happened in another uh, worship house, um, would have would have received. And and to me, that that brings me down mm -hmm. because I consider every life sacred, every life, um, atheist. Christian, Regardless Muslim, of what whatever. your faith or lack of faith. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and to, you know, see how that happened across the world, because I, I, as you know, I follow and read a lot of papers. It, it, it made a little bit of a blip. It didn't make the big blip as other. And it was one of the worst terrorist attacks yep. to, a, a, what do I want to say, a building of faith, right? right? Wasn't right. it one of the largest? Right. I think it was Sufi, right? Yep. So the... The denomination of Muslims that worshipped in that mosque—they're known—they're known as Sufis, which is, to to kind of make it an easy um, definition, the more spiritual, the more mystical side of Islam. Um, they follow Islam just like everyone else. They pray and fast, and uh, there are just certain practices that uh, they practice that are different from, uh, you know, maybe mainstream Islam. Mm -hmm. um, and so the extremists—they—they they have this, you know, agenda against everyone. And, and this is one of the things I think uh, it's gotten out there now that Muslims, mainstream Islam, we suffer from, 
you know, we're killed the most by the extremists, by ISIS and by Al Qaeda. You know, it's the Muslims that have been, be, you know, been killed and targeted more than any other faith group. So we are being targeted just as much as you know other faith groups. And um, so just if, you can see where the extremists they fall. They if anyone doesn't fall in line with them, with them, you know, yeah, they're right. they will you know try to hurt them in any way, shape, or form. And it's just unfortunate. I have. Uh, you know, many m members of my mosque are from Egypt, and on Friday, uh, when I was stepping up to give the sermon, uh, I, I was approached by two um, brothers that were from, uh, originally from Egypt, and they were very emotional about what had happened. Uh, and so, you know, it's something that affects people even here home, you know, here in America, because they have roots in Egypt. I studied in Egypt, uh, and it's just heartbreaking to know that, you know, the Egyptian people, uh, in my opinion, are one of the nicest, you know, the, the people I've, 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 the nicest people I've met. Um, you know, they're so hospitable and so kind and compassionate and wanting to and make you feel at home. And I was someone that was, you know, a foreigner in their country studying. And, you know, things are hard when you're a foreigner studying in another country. And they were so kind. The nicest people I've met from, you know, from, from amongst the nicest people I met from, from, are from Egypt. And so it broke my heart. And so it's something that, affects all of you know our whole community um and hopefully as as a collection of of humans we get together and solve this problem mm -hmm. all together and that's why i'm so glad that you're here because i think it's so important to get that message out that you know this 0 0.01 or whatever the right. figure is of these extremists are really giving a terrible name to muslims right I had the pleasure of um, being able to go to Egypt a while ago. I'm going back probably 10, 12 years ago. And um, everybody said to us, you know, things were a little dicey then. Mm -hmm. and they were, And we took our girls and whatever, and they were like, what? You're, why are you going there? And I said, because it's a fascinating place right. that... They have so much to offer and, and see. And human history. And human, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yep. is just, And I felt the same way that you did. The people there were lovely right. and very welcoming. I mean, you know, here I am, a blonde. My right. girls are, you know, blonde. Not like we stick out like a sore thumb or anything. <laughs> but people were very accepting and very lovely. So I think that it takes such a, a bad turn when people make these assumptions right. and we had the opportunity to um meet this other couple and they were lovely and he really uh, explained to me a little bit about you know i mean obviously in a nutshell but we we spent some time with them and i learned so much about the similarities between the quran and the bible mm. to me you know, again, now, is it something that I ever looked into? No. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, my bad. But I think that I'm not alone in no, trying to, you know, compare and contrast right. the Quran with the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, but I just assumed, you know, one was, you know, polar opposites. Right. And then he started talking about things in it. I'm like, well, We've got that. Right. I mean, well, we got that too. Well, you know what we I mean. Yeah. In other words, we share that. Yes, right, right, absolutely. Right. And, and and that's uh, I want to get yeah response uh, oh. perfected on a couple of things because you know as you know I've started reading right. uh, the Quran and every you know chapter begins with the same in the name of God the most compassionate most merciful 
and then you read. Every chapter begins every, with that? Every. Wow. Every chapter. And so I, I have it underlined in mine or right? I've ever <laughs> written. And, and Usman, could you just speak to the audience and also to, to me? I don't know about and you. And me, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. That the connection between Islam and compassion and success in life and however you know you want to define it but you know that that link because I, I think it's beautifully woven in and, and from my perspective but I, I'd love to hear how you would explain that connection. Right, sure sure so I mean, l- like you've mentioned it's something that's you know mentioned at the beginning of every chapter uh, in the Quran in the name of God the most merciful the most compassionate not only is it in the beginning of every chapter but the, the Prophet Muhammad I mean, peace and blessings be be upon him. He 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 mentions in one of his sayings that everything you start with, uh, you, you want to start with the name of God, mentioning that He's the most merciful and the most compassionate. And so, before we eat, we make that prayer, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, which means in the name of God, the most merciful, the most compassionate. Before we leave our house in the morning, we try to remind ourselves of that mercy and that compassion uh, of God. And so, you know, it's something that. Uh, we see throughout the uh, lifetime of the Prophet where his empathy and his love and his compassion for all members of society, not just human beings, but animals as well. There's, there's a great um, you know, a saying where the Prophet, uh, he mentions that a person uh, once was thirsty uh, and back then they had wells. He looked into the well and the water level was very low. So he had to actually jump in go down, grab some water, and then come back up. And when he came back up, uh, he saw a thirsty dog, and so he went back in a second time to get wow. w- water for the dog. And because of that, God, because of his mercy and compassion for that animal, God forgave him uh, and you know, granted him the rewards of this world, the rewards of the hereafter. So uh, compassion is something across the board that we find in the lifetime of the Prophet. And one of the main principles that we, we live by as Muslims is we want to live like the Prophet lived. Uh, and I know there's a similar concept in other faiths as well, wanting to live like uh, the prophet lived uh, because they were someone that was accepted by God, you know, and God had sent them. Uh, and so if you look into the prophet's life, you'll see, you know, even with children, you know, it, it, there's a great story once the prophet was praying. Uh, and if you see, if you've ever seen Muslims pray, we pray in a congregation kind of all together, facing in one direction. We're very focused and we're very, you know, concentrated on the prayer. And so you'd think, you know, that the prophet would lead a very long and, you know, very passionate prayer. And as he's praying, he hears a child cry. And so there's a, there's a number of movements that we make while praying. We bow, we stand, we go down into prostration, we sit. And, you know, I would say for a normal prayer, it would take up to between 10 and 15 minutes to pray. And so the prophet's praying and he hears this child cry. And... He rushes through the rest of prayer because he knows that the mother can't get to the child. She's busy praying. And so once we're in a state of prayer, we don't break our prayer unless it's something very, you know, that we something we have to attend to. But we don't talk. We don't even look around. We don't pick up our phones. We, we stand in kind of devotion to God. And so he knew that this child was crying and the mother wouldn't be able to get to this child. So he rushed through the rest of the prayer to, you know, to, so that the mother could get to the child. So that's one of the things that we kind of live by, that he put away worship of God, or he kind of put that beyond, he prioritized compassion towards that child. And that's where we also feel that we have to live by, Uh, you know, prioritizing love 
and compassion for all human beings. There's a great verse in the Quran. I don't know if you've gotten to it yet, um, where God mentions that it's because of your mercy. He, he's, he's talking no, to the prophet. I haven't gotten there yet. He says, it's because the, of the fact that you're so lenient and loving and compassionate to your companions that they've stuck around you. If you had to be harsh, they would have run away. Ah, I love that. Mm. And, and so, get, very it gets true. the compassionate achiever. That's exactly right. I'm sorry. That's exciting. I, I wish I got to that already. <laughs> right. <laughs> you should have put that in the book. The next one. Next one. Next one. So, so when you get to it, let me know. But it's it, it's that's the, the verse where God reminds the prophet. It's because of your compassion to your to your followers that they're actually with you, and that's the compassion that we want to kind of. That message is what we want to spread throughout humanity. Compassion is. Is it's kind of uh, it's contagious. Yes, mm-hmm. right. It has that ripple effect. You know, you see someone do something compassionate, it kind makes of makes you want to. Exactly, awesome. exactly. And that's what I think uh, is the the focus that usually we don't hear about when we hear about Islam. <laughs> and I totally agree. And it's really unfortunate yeah. that um, you know, it, and especially right now. And I'm going to go really out on a limb here, mm-hmm. but I know there's a lot of people that equate terrorism. And Islam, you know, it's right. like they just lump it all together, and it's it's such a bad rap. Right. Um, I I don't know how you get across to people mm. that that is not what we're about. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, that's one of the things, actually, that um, I in my sermons I talk to my congregation. I try to remind them that if you want to change the narrative, you've got to do it. You know, it, 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 it starts here, right here at home. Mm-hmm. Go out and meet your neighbor. Go out and meet your neighborhood. Get, get involved in the community. Um, you know, just do things that will put the right message out there. If we kind of shrivel up and get into our corners and we're afraid that that's not going to help the situation. I, I remember my wife and I, we were, at, we were, we were shopping, uh, and, and this was at a store about an hour away from our home. Um, and so usually we shop and we're fine you know we dress the way we dress and we usually everyone's fine and you know very kind and loving uh and so we were being followed around by uh, another person in the store and then i noticed that we were being followed around uh, and, and my and my wife didn't notice she was you know all into the, what we were shopping, shopping yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, i noticed and so i approached the person i said you know hi how are you how, how can i help you and they were actually very very um, you know, angry uh, and mm-hmm. started to say things that, you know, I've heard here and there about going back home and you don't mm. belong here and things like that. And so at that moment, I remember I thought to myself, I need to turn this into a positive, you know, situation. And so I said, I, I kind of let her finish. And then I said, well, let me take this opportunity and talk to you about Islam and talk to you about what true Islam teaches and you know maybe you've never met a Muslim maybe you don't mm-hmm. really know a Muslim family and so I tried to take that opportunity and talk to her um, but just because of the negativity of the moment and the emotions was she listening at all uh, or she, no? and she just left um, and so I remember and in, in, I remember kind of getting loud and I said well, wait, hold on come back you know I just want to talk to you I just want to mm-hmm. just want to kind of you know explain myself um, but just because of the negativity. Of it, she wasn't going to hear anything. She wasn't listening. Well, and Tracy, on that subject, in the Quran I have, it also has a kind of a cheat sheet up front for those of us who didn't know I need too those. much about yeah. um, Islam. And, it's, and it says this, right? It says the Quran, um, chapter 5, verse 32, and this is the spread table uh, right. chapter. It says this, Whoever takes a life, it will be as if they killed all of humanity. And whoever saves a life, it will be as if they saved all of humanity. 
and this now is part of the, the cheat sheet. Those who manipulate verses from the Quran by taking them out of context to justify violence against innocents contradict the Quran's call for tolerance and peaceful coexistence. Islam is unequivocally against terrorism. And if you go to the next verse, 33, it goes right into that. There's no doubt that the Quran and Islam is against terrorism. It's very clear. It's in, in the verses. Um, and that is a misconception that the West makes. And it's the ignorance yes. of people. I, I, I couldn't agree more. That, so it's so important that we get these positive messages out. Just like what you said, to make that encounter right. a very positive one. Hopefully, even though she may have not heard what you said, mm -hmm. maybe she could feel that compassion right. towards her right. that you weren't, you know, yelling back right. or you weren't, you know, going toe to toe with her. Right. She had to have because with Uzban, you, you, you feel you it have right to. away. Yeah, yes, and he gives absolutely. great hugs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big guy, so that's a good one. <laughs> no, but that's good that you, you know had that i mean not i'm not saying that let me let me rephrase that that was horrible <laughs> that you had that experience right. because who is that woman to take it upon herself right. to tell you that you know you should be here or not be here mm. but i do think a lot of it is ignorance and that is not an excuse people need to make themselves aware of what this really is about and not and not make that jump right. that you're out to hurt somebody or, you know, why would you need to go home? Right. That This is the land of the free. Mm -hmm. And so I think we just need to be more compassionate and accepting. Yeah, and, and, and talking about, you know, the, the, the verses of the Quran and reading of the Quran, a lot of times, you know, what I think is important is, you know, sometimes you'll find people that will cut and paste and take certain verses out of context. And there's a beautiful saying in the Arabic language, uh, which means uh, that... It, the translation, roughly, is that the context of something is half of its meaning. Yes. You may know exactly the translation of something, mm -hmm. but the context is half of the meaning. You so won't right. get it. And so, you know, that's one of the they things that... They pluck these little phrases right. out of there and then use that as their justification. Right. And there was, there was a great graphic. I, I, I saw it. I came across it once. And I know it's somewhere in my computer. Uh, hopefully, I'll pull it up. But what it, what it, the graphic did was it took the five most misquoted verses in the Quran and added context to it. And so, if you just read the translation of the part of the of the verse that's usually misquoted, you can look at it and be like, "Whoa!" And then when they add context to it, well, this is what's before it, this is what's after it, and this is what was happening. You say, "Okay, well, not totally that different sense. meaning, yeah. right?" And that. so, it's important that we put everything into context. Yeah, because every I think sacred text. That can be done, right? I mean, you could do that in Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Do yeah, exactly. <laughs> or Harry Potter. Or Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Potter. Yes. Harry Potter. Perfect yeah. example. And to some people, that is their faith. Let me tell you. <laughs> Unfortunately, but you're right. Anything in context means everything, mm -hmm. right? It's it's a big part of actually how the words are phrased, right? It it, it sets the table literally. <laughs> the tone for yeah, it. It does. That, so you said um, Ramadan is a time for making amends. First of all, when is Ramadan? Or is that the whole thing that you were talking about yep, in it's, May? It, yeah. um, and should we make amends at other times as well? Or is, is this one of these things that is taken out of context uh, and just... 
So uh, in regards to so Ramadan in the Islamic tradition, we f- we follow the lunar calendar. Mm-hmm. So it's something that's always changing every year. I believe it goes back ten days because our calendar, Gregorian's three sixty five, or it's set around that much. Whereas the lunar calendar is a little bit shorter, about ten days shorter. So it moves, um, and so this year Ramadan will be around May June, uh, around those months for this year. But like I said, it's moving back in about. 10 or 15 years it'll be in in the winter into 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 the winter winter, yeah so it'll be a lot Mm -hmm. shorter um so making amends kind of like i mentioned before staying hungry naturally brings a feeling of generosity within you uh the month of ramadan is just a very spiritual month so we're praying at night uh you know we're praying very long hours into the night uh we're really cutting down all of our physical desires sleeping and eating and and so it becomes a very spiritual time. And, you know, sometimes things happen in life where you feel like you're going to cut off from a family member because of a certain thing. Or maybe you'll stop talking to a friend because something happened. Or, you know, and, and so it's such a spiritual time that that's the time when, when a person will feel like, you know what, there's better in life. I can be a better person. I can, you know, forgive. And so to make t- amends in the month of Ramadan is actually easier in in for, for a muslim that's fasting because they're in that spiritual you know heightened mm. state and so that's what i meant in the article but of course you can make amends throughout the year uh if a person can get to and want it wants to forgive someone or wants to make amends with either their family their friends their community or even with god you can do it outside of the month of ramadan as well but it's just in ramadan that we feel very very connected mm-hmm. and one of the examples i give is the first day is very very difficult because it's the first fast you know, it's the first day that we're not eating, not drinking. And that first day you feel it. It's, it's, you can't wait till the sun sets. Yeah, uh, and you just want to sleep until the sun sets. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second day gets a little easier. Third day gets a little easier. By the fourth, fifth day, it's normal routine. And in the last few days, I would say the last 10 days, maybe the last five days, even though you're putting your body through so much, you're you're at such a point spiritually that you don't want it to end you know you, you even when you pray you feel it more you know you can easily connect with god uh and so because of that reason you know a lot of people will find the month of ramadan be the best time to get closer to god to god, ask god to forgive us for our shortcomings and things like that so that's what i meant by the month of ramadan being a time of mm-hmm. you know just easier to do good deeds because the whole community is together you know you're out there breaking fast with you know trying to invite your community and your neighbors and trying to get along with everyone and if you have anything that's holding you back you want to kind of you know you want to you want to get you want to make that that amend you want to you know get closer to that person so in the month of ramadan that's a lot easier that makes sense that so i'm just looking at the time and i know you know we're on a schedule here so at the end of every <laughs> every podcast we have a, a question that we ask everyone there are no right answers to this so do you look at compassion as a value a virtue or a verb how would you describe value, virtue, or, or a verb. verb? That's a great question. <laughs> That's Chris's question. Uh, oh, throw yeah. him some sun. Yeah. <laughs> value, virtue, or verb. So when I think about it, I think it depends on who you ask. But uh, value and virtue, it definitely is a value and a virtue, but more so a verb. Uh, this is what I feel. Value and virtue, it's kind of there. You can write it down, and it can be a value, it can be a virtue, something that someone believes, but. To say it's a verb kind of puts it into action. 
And that's what mm-hmm. I feel, uh, you know, being more proactive about it, you know, uh, going, you know, we can all sit here and talk about compassion, but to actually we need go, to go out and do it, right? <laughs> but to actually act it, I think that's so. Yes, it's a virtue and a verb. Uh, it's a virtue and a value, but more so a verb, in, in my opinion. I, I love that. And, you know, the last thing that the um, students in the MSA mm-hmm. did, they were scheduling who was going to cover what at Dorothy Day. So when were they going to go into the kitchen? When they were going to do the serving? So it's getting out there. And that was their, I, I didn't tell them that I was so proud of them. That was their last full thing to do is figure out a calendar, connect with Dorothy Day to help them out to, so that they can Which serve just other so people. Which the listeners know, oh. Dorothy Day is a soup kitchen, Thank right? Yes. Is it not? Yeah. Yes. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the students are talking about doing that and doing it over break and then continuing it into the next semester. Getting out there, yeah. doing it, right? Helping Being others. compassionate. Right. And during the winter months is when, you know, things get really difficult for our homeless mm-hmm. population. And, you know, the soup kitchens need help. Dorothy Day actually puts out, you know, an, a, a little flyer in regards to the, they wanted, need more volunteers during the winter. They only have so many beds and things like that. Uh, I mean, you can imagine for someone to stay out, not have a shelter uh, mm. in, in the winter. You know, it's hard for us to sit in our car you know, <laughs> right, while starting right, it right. in the morning. Okay. And so just imagine, <laughs> yeah, today's a great day, but, you know, yeah. just in the winter, normally it's so difficult. So to think about putting yourself in someone's shoes that has nowhere to stay at night. Uh, and so that's, that's the compassion we'd love to bring into our lives. Well, I just want to thank you, Usman Akhtar. Thank you you for have me. been amazing. I told you. Yeah, we're going to have him back. We're going to have him back. Well, if he'll come back. Like, I don't know after this. Either. Yeah, Chris, know. He's, nah. like, he's running for the door. No, I'm kidding. I had a great time. Thank you so much oh, for having me. It absolutely. Was a pleasure. It was really an enjoyable, and there's so many other things I want to dive into. I know. I noticed so, we didn't get to some of your yeah, questions. There are so. several questions. But, um, and if you do have questions to our listeners, please send them to us at compassionateachiever.com you can find us on twitter at comp achieve pod or just search us at the compassionate achiever podcast and be sure to find us at wcsu media yes and we hope you the listener once again uh, we're able to find ways to unlock the compassionate achiever within you so that you can unlock success in all walks of life thanks, thanks so much thank you bye-bye